Hey everyone, I'm Brian Treadaway, the pastor at Vertical Church. It's our desire here to lift him up and live him out. We hope today's broadcast will inspire you to do the same. So enjoy today's message. Over the past several weeks, almost months now, you've probably watched online or in the news lava erupting not just onto the ground but into the air in Hawaii and uh, the devastating effects of all of that. Um, Latest reports, over 700 homes have been evacuated and then destroyed because of the volcanoes. What's interesting is that um, the geological survey there reveals that now, as a result of the lava that has spilled over, it has added or covered more than 12 square miles with this lava. There are now portions of Hawaii that once existed that no longer exist. And there are also places in Hawaii that now exist that did not exist before. Areas of land added because of the lava. They said in particular there's one of the fissures they call Fissure 8. is estimated to flow at a rate of 100 cubic meters per second with lava. Devastating land around it as it flows to the sea. They say just that fissure alone may take months, if not years, to stop in its flow. We've been looking at the idea of anger and its devastating effects in our lives over the past weeks. We began last week taking the message series in a little bit different turn. We've not just looked at our own anger and its devastating effects in our lives, but we've looked at the anger of God. We saw last week in the New Testament how Jesus entered the temple in anger of the fact that a place that should have been a house of prayer, that should have been a place that reflected his glory, but been turned into what he called a den of thieves, and his anger was poured out in that moment. Listen here. God is jealous for his glory, specifically in the places where he dwells. And he will protect with a passion those places to ensure that they are places of holiness and glory. And when they are not, his anger is awakened and his effects will be disastrous and thorough and complete. So our message today takes a little bit of a different turn as we think about the wrath of God. Let me kind of walk us through a a history here today as we get ready for the passage. I'm going to talk a while, give you a lot of background, and then we're going to look at our passage for the day. You see, if we're going to understand the wrath of God, we've got to back up and understand the nature of God, who he is. Who is God? The scripture tells us much about him. He's a God of love. That he's a God who shows mercy. He's a God who protects justice and enacts justice. He's a God of grace. He's a God of peace. But there is one quality that serves as the foundation for who God is. And all other qualities begin here. If you don't understand this one quality, you'll miss out on all the other qualities. 
You won't understand who he really is and how he acts. That one quality that the angels in heaven and in eternity cry is holy, holy, holy. It starts there. So for us to understand the wrath of God, for us to understand the love of God, for us us to understand the mercy of God, we have to go back to the essence of who God is. And he is first and foremost and will always be holy. That's where it starts. And so we seek to know him based on that. Holy. He is set apart. He is like none other. There are none who come anywhere close to who he is. No thing, no one can match the power of God. He's the one who has created the universe. Not just Texas. Not just the United States. Not just this planet Earth. Not just our solar system, but the entire universe with its reaches unknown. God created them. And yet, he remains bigger than them. Wow. I can't even wrap my mind around that. I remember trying to think as a child about what was beyond, you know, beyond earth and beyond space. And there was something about, there was some point out there where it just kind of hurt my head when I thought about, well, there's, there's an edge out there somewhere, right? It ends somewhere, right? No, it doesn't. And it all exists within who God is. He is outside even all of he, that he's created. He's the God who knows all things. You know he ultimately knows everything about your life. He knows what that person sitting next to you doesn't know today. He knows your past. He knows your thoughts. He knows your future. He intimately knows the things that you aren't even aware of. And he knows everything about every one of us. And watch this. And every person who has ever lived or will live. That is knowledge too great for me. He's a God who knows all things. He is a God who is in all places. Isn't it crazy that this morning as we're sitting here, we've all been worshiping and perhaps you've been praying and you've been praying to God. He hears you as though you were the only one praying. But he also hears that person next to you as though they were the only one praying. And the one down the row from you and the one in the back of the room and the one at the other church this morning and the whole other church and the whole other group of people that are outside of even where we know God hears their situation. He hears their cry of their heart. He knows them and he loves them. And he does it as though they were the only one. He is here this morning. Perhaps you have sensed him already. He's in many other places this morning as well. He is God. He alone can do that. He's also the God of all truth. There's no shadow in him. There's no deceit in him. There's no trickery in him. There's nothing in him that would cause you to not be able to trust him fully. 
but he is also the God of all power. To create the universe with just his words. To be the one who can speak to the heart of the most hardened sinner and bring about change. He alone is the God of all power. This is just part of what makes him holy. He is righteous. He is removed from anything we can ever imagine about what it means to be right and true and holy. And the scripture puts together a word that goes with God's holiness. You'll find these two words together throughout the Old and New Testament. Because where there is known the holiness of God and where the holiness of God exists in and of himself, there is always his glory. Holiness and glory. They go together. Where there is holiness, his glory will be manifested. It will be known. It it emanates from him. And it has as much of the life-giving and devastating power that his own holiness has. For example, the sun. We know of our sun and its immense size and power. And no one has been able to even travel to the sun or could get to the sun because it would instantly be burned up. But, not just the sun, but there is a glory that emanates from the sun that would prevent any of us from ever even drawing close to it because the glory emanates from the power that's within. When it comes to God, his glory emanates from his holiness. And you'll see these two things going together. Let me just read a couple of verses. Psalm 29, 2. Give to Jehovah the glory due his name. Worship Jehovah in the beauty of holiness. Holiness and glory. Psalm 63, 2. I have seen you in the holy place, seeing your power and your glory. Isaiah 6, chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 3. Isaiah has this vision, and he sees these angels, and here's what he says, and they cry to another, and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They go together, holiness and glory. One of the foundational elements of who God is and the thing that just stuns us as man is that it is God's passion and desire for us, man, born sinners, to be able to experience his holiness and glory. Not just experience it, but dwell in it. Can you imagine? The God of all glory, the God of holy, 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 would say to sinful man, I long for you to dwell with me in my glory and to know what it means to be holy.
This is theology 101. This is who God is, chapter 1. It all begins here. So throughout the pages of Scripture, you find stories of, of God desiring for man to dwell in his glory. You find Adam and Eve created him and put here on earth, and they are clothed in glory. They're not aware of shame. They're not aware of anything but God in their presence and them dwelling in glory. It's what Moses experienced at the burning bush, the glory of God, a bush burning and it is not burned up. And Moses is keenly aware and he removes his shoes because God says this is a holy ground. The law was given in the Old Testament so it might be a descriptor to man of what it's like to have a holy God. They were given behaviors and patterns and, and practices to follow so that they might know holiness. They were given things they were not to practice and not to pattern their life after because they were unholy. And the law gave them a description, a blueprint of a place to build. And in that place would be at the core a room called the Holy of Holies. It was set apart. It was unique. It was to be kept holy. It was to be crafted by God's design. It was not to have any profane things in it. It was not to have any common things in it. This was a place where God dwelt. It was to be kept with holiness. The temple that would follow would have this same description in it. And in 2 Chronicles 5, as they finished that building, as they finished that room and did exactly what God had called them to do in crafting a place that would be holy and set apart, it says that when they did, they lifted up their voices, they sang to God, and it says in verse 13, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. When there is holiness, there is glory. And without holiness, there is no glory. There's only the mundane, the profane, and just the common stuff of life. And God invites us to something far greater. It's what Isaiah experienced when he saw the Lord filling the temple. It's what Ezekiel experienced when he saw this thing coming to him in Ezekiel chapter 1 that he couldn't even explain, though he tried. It was the holiness and the glory of God. And God is passionate for you. You, not the person next to you only. You, to know his holiness and glory that you might dwell in it. Now, God is jealous for this holiness and glory. He's passionate for us to experience it and therefore he will jealously guard and protect where that holiness exists. Whether it was the garden where he had to say to Adam and Eve in their sin, you have to go. 
and the Garden of Eden was closed down. Angels positioned to guard it. God protects his holiness and glory. And what it does when it's violated, what happens when someone twists, distorts, cheapens, lessens the glory and the holiness of God, what it does is it awakens the anger and wrath of God. Mm. Let me just give you a few examples from Scripture of times when God enacted his anger because a group of people had rejected, refused, cheapened, twisted, distorted his holiness. The flood. In Noah's day, The Bible says the earth was filled with wickedness except for eight souls. And God poured out his judgment on the earth with a flood. It was God enacting his anger and wrath in that moment because of continual refusal, rejection, twisting, denying his holiness and glory. The Tower of Babel. Another instance in the book of Genesis where a people decided to make a monument for themselves, a tower that had lifted up to the heavens where they would reveal their greatness and their glory was in themselves. God in that moment destroyed the tower of Babel because he will not share his glory with another. He will not allow someone else to twist, distort, deny, or pervert his glory. He is enacted and enraged with anger at those who do. Sodom and Gomorrah, destroyed because of its overwhelming wickedness, its perversion, its twisting, its rejection of God's holiness. Pharaoh and his armies, who sought to destroy God's people, who were the the icon of God's holiness and glory on the planet, because they pursued them. Pharaoh and his armies were destroyed. There's an interesting story in 2 Samuel after God has given the law and he's described this tabernacle and he has created this holy place, the holy of holies. And inside this holy of holies is the ark of the covenant in which the blood was poured out and atoned for the sins of man. This ark, this box was to be carried in one specific way and one way only. God is holy. He has holy ways and you are to follow and walk in his ways. And the way this ark, this box was to be carried was on the shoulders of men with a stave, a rod going through on both sides. It was the only way it was to be carried whenever they traveled it had to be that way it was God's pattern no one was to touch the box the ark the scripture records a time however when the people of God decide to do things their own way they decide to not follow his ways and so they decide instead of carrying it They say, I think we have a better idea. Let's put it on a cart like a trailer and have the oxen carry it. That way it won't be so much on us and we can just let it go. We can watch it. So they do. They put this ark on this cart. And as it's moving along, it hits a bump. 
the ark shifts. It begins to fall off of the cart. A man, the Bible records, reaches out to steady it. He's attempting to brace it so that it will not fall off of the cart. The Bible says this about that man. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah is his name. He reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen upset it. And the anger of God was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him there for the error. And he died there by the ark of God. You cannot, you cannot distort, twist, choose your own way to God's ways. He is holy. He's jealous for his glory. He will not share it with another Another story is recorded later about two sons of a high priest who were immoral, who began to use the holy place that was meant for worship and sacrifice for their own benefits. They were sneaking women in, they were drinking, they were getting drunk. And the Bible says that Hophni and Phinehas, those two boys' names, were destroyed because of God's anger toward them. They were acting in their own ways, not following God's ways. Ezekiel 43 kind of sums up God's approach, and it says, And they have even defiled my holy name by their abominations which they have done, and I have consumed them in my anger. God will protect his holy places. Move into the New Testament. You might think, oh, well, please, let's get to the New Testament. Surely it's got to be better. You know, uh, God was mad in the Old Testament, nice in the New Testament. No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is holy then. He's holy in the New Testament. He's holy now, and he forever will be holy. That's why you have last week's story of Jesus going into the temple and seeing the place that was dedicated to be used for God's glory and holiness and prayer and sacrifice. Jesus walks in and he turns some tables over and he throws some people out and he gets a whip out that he makes and he drives out the money changers because God is protective and passionate about his holiness and glory. Even those who refused to believe, Jesus would say this about at the end of John chapter 3. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Mm. It's the wrath of God in history. I want to just touch on a moment for a moment here about wrath to come. We've talked about what's happened before. I want to talk just for a, just a brief moment about what will one day be. We know that the scripture records in the book of Revelation for sure that there's coming a day when God, who is withholding the full fury of his anger and wrath now, against those who reject and twist and distort will one day pour out his full wrath. It says in Revelation 19, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. 
and he sitting on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. It goes on in verse 15. It says, And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, so that with it he should strike the nations. And he will shepherd them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the wine of the anger and of the wrath of Almighty God. You cannot twist, distort, deny, and reject the glory and holiness of God without awakening the anger of God. We all together so far? But what about today? What about now? What about us? What about this time that we live in? It's not the same as before. We're not seeing fire fall down out of heaven and lick up a group of people because they've rejected God. We're not at that day yet where the the one on the horse has come and he's come to execute justice. What about today? Where are we? Where is God's wrath? People like to ask that question, especially in light of our situation, our country. Say, well, is God going to judge America? Is he judging America? Will there be a time of judging for America? What about people that we know? Will they be judged for their rejection and twisting and distorting of who God is, his holiness and glory? We're going to look at a passage today that answers the question. So now to our passage. Romans chapter 1. New Testament. Turn with me there. You can follow me on screen. You can turn your Bible app wherever you'd like to join me in the process. We begin today in verse 18. We'll just cut right to it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I want to point out a few key words here. It's the wrath of God. That's clear. Next word. Is. Is. It's the word that means is now. Is currently. Not just one day. Not just was. Not just had been. But is now. The wrath of God is now revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. In other words, hearts that are turned away and actions that display a heart turned away. Ungodliness, a disregard for God and unrighteousness, not living righteously. It adds this powerful tag at the end of this verse. It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Here it is. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Who are keeping down. Who are distorting. Who are twisting the truth. I told you, God is passionate and jealous and powerful to act to protect his holiness and glory. And here is his wrath now being poured out, being revealed against those who by their heart and by their actions suppress, hold down, keep others from being able to experience truth and holiness and the glory of God. 
Oh, you've just awakened the glory of God if you're in this verse. I'm sorry, you've just awakened the anger of God if you're in this verse. If you're twisting, suppressing, holding down, rejecting, denying, you've awakened the anger of God. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't see it being revealed today. I haven't seen any lightning come down. I haven't seen groups of people swallowed up. How come that's not happening today? Well, let's continue in the passage. Verse 19. He says, here's the reason. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. These are some who know. They're aware. They know. God has manifested itself. I want to read verses 20 through 23 to you. It says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, whoever they are, are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Do you see it? Glory, glorify. They didn't recognize. They didn't glorify him as God. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And professing to be wise, they became fools. And change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. He says, this is, this is what they've done. They've rejected the holiness and glory of God. They've twisted it. They've instead chose to glorify themselves and they've become so twisted that they're, they became futile in their thoughts. Their thinking actually was altered so that they can no longer think according to God's ways and their hearts are darkened. They can't sense his presence anymore. Now, I want to go on because this passage is painful to read. But it's the demonstration of God's desire for his holiness and glory. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. You say, where is the wrath of God today? Why isn't something being done? When is he going to act? When is he going to execute his justice? When is his anger going to be awakened? It is being awakened right now. And here is how he does it. He gives them up to their uncleanness. The passage told us the wrath of God is being revealed now. It is being revealed. And here's how he does it. 
For those who have rejected, denied, resisted, refused, twisted, he says, I will give them up to their own uncleanness to do what they have longed to do. He has just let them go their way. Look here. This is why this is why he does this. God longs for our hearts. He's not looking just for your religious behavior. He's not pleased just because you showed up at church today. He's pleased if you showed up today with a heart that says, God, speak to me. You alone are Lord over all. That's what he's pleased with. So he's not looking for just robot performance. He's looking for hearts that are surrendered to him. So when there's a heart that's not surrendered to him, when there's a heart that is resistant, when there is a heart that's been bitter, when there's a heart that is filled with rage, when there's a heart that refuses to forgive and walk in holiness, then God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you go your way. How wise ingenious and holy of God. He could just frighten us into temporary subjection to his will, but he's not looking for some summer camp experience for you that ignites your heart one week and turns back the next week. He's looking for something more long-term than that. He's not looking for you just to stop that one habit. He's looking for you to surrender your heart. And to get there, he will say, it's what you want. You're not going to listen to me. You're not going to follow my leading. You're going to keep twisting and distorting my ways. Okay. Listen. When a man reaches that place, God stops stopping them. Right? What he does in the lives of men is speak, and he, he also prohibits, he puts up boundaries that keep us. But for those who reject and twist and distort, God says, this I'm not going to do anymore. I'm going to let you go on in your way. Because that's how naturally destructive the heart of man is. You just remove the barrier for just a moment, and he will destroy himself. He'll get to the place of utter brokenness, hopefully. And then... Then and only then is there the possibility of his heart absolutely breaking and crying out for redemption, crying out for forgiveness because he went his own way. So that's how the anger and wrath of God is being poured out today. He gives them up to go their own path do what you want to do 
He opens the floodgate of their own destruction. He stops stopping them. He doesn't give permission or bless their sin, but he stops stopping them. The passage goes on, verse 25, and it said these have exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, when God takes his hands off, when you keep refusing, when you keep twisting and distorting, the response that happens happens in your heart and in your mind. They actually believe the lie and they stop believing the truth. They make an exchange in their mind. That's what it says here in verse 25. They exchange the truth for the lie. That's why when you try to talk to some people today who are far from God, you just you talk as plain and powerful as you can, and they don't get it, right? Been in that situation? They are absolutely blinded, and they start talking back to you, and it makes no sense, right? It's because they have exchanged in their mind the truth for a lie. Let's go on to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up. He stopped stopping them. And he gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. They longed to do their thing. They wanted to walk in their sin. They had bought into the lie and God took his hands off, stopped stopping them to the point that they gave in to their passions and then it showed up in life. You can't reject him without it showing up in life. And he says what happens in you find a people who even exchange what is created by God with holy design and they twist and distort it. And where there should be man and woman, he says now there's woman with woman. And he's going to say man with man, verse 27, likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. God stopped stopping and his wrath is seen not in a judgment to come but in the fact that we're in this situation today is God's wrath. Do you hear me? What we are seeing in culture today is not just a one-day wrath, but this is the wrath being poured out. A people who have rejected and are now going their own way. And God, giving them over, stopped stopping them, letting them go in their path into their twisted, 
into their vile passions, into their perversions. God stopped stopping them. The end of verse 27 is so... This whole passage is sad, but this one to me, the end. Receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. They went on in their immorality. They knew it was going to cost them, and it starts costing them. It's costing them in their health. It's costing them in their relationships. It's costing them in their soul. It's costing them everywhere. The penalty is coming upon them, and they just keep on. They refuse. They've so rejected and twisted and distorted that God has let them go their own way. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. You keep resisting, you keep rejecting, you keep denying, you keep wanting to go your own way, you keep resisting the Holy Spirit and God speaking to you time after time. You've rejected and you become hardened and you become bitter. God says, okay, fine, have it, do it. It will bring you to a place where you'll say, I don't even want to have the thoughts of God in my mind any longer. And when you do, you'll be given over to a mind that is completely debased. It has no moral compass any longer. You look at things that should be black and white and you can't even see it. You're blind to it. Your emotions are blind to it. Your, your mind is blind to it. Your heart is blind to it. And you call white, black, and black, white, and right, wrong, and wrong, right. It's all twisted and distorted. And you're doing the things that are not fitting, that are not part of God's design. We live in a culture today that is doing everything it can to justify all of its perversions, to normalize its perversions, to classify its perversions. Oh yeah, if you've done a little bit of reading today, you'll know that those doing this have created what they call nine different sexual orientations. Nine that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff that's different. I'm not going to discuss those today <laughs> because this is a family setting. But I will tell you this, that there is now talk. Go Google it. Not right now, please, but later. <laughs> there is a tenth one on the floor for discussion that they believe should be added to the list of orientations There's a movement for pedophiles to be put into that group as well. To normalize, classify. Those are not orientations, folks. Those are perversions. They're not by God's design. They're not in line with his holiness. They do not reflect his glory. And that is why they awaken the wrath of God. This passage is clear. Verse 29. 
They are being filled with all unrighteousness. Their sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God. I want to read that one more time. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's how twisted it gets. That's how distorted it gets. You reject the holiness and the glory of God. It'll lead you to a place of your own ways, ultimately your own destruction, full of wickedness, even knowing the righteous judgment of God. Now, this is vertical, and we do everything here with an application. Amen? We look at God's Word, we see doctrine, we make application. It might be that you sit here today and think, wow, this is doctrine for other people. I don't see application for me. We're not through yet. There's a call for us as believers to holiness. To be what we have been made. You, when you received Christ, you became in that moment the temple of the Holy Spirit. You became the place where God dwells. Listen, he only dwells here in this place when we are here in this place. Yep. Did you hear me? I, like, I know people like to say, oh, it's the house of God. I, I, I know what you mean. But the real house of God today is not this. It's this. Amen. If you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the place that he dwells. And I can tell you this now. He is jealous for his holiness and glory to be seen in you. Ooh. And he'll walk right up into your life like he did in the temple and turn some tables over if he needs to. Amen? He'll walk right up into your life, some things you've set up, some things you've called important, some things you thought were valuable. He'll walk right up into your life. And he'll weave his own way. A whip it was for Jesus in his day. He'll find some way to come in. And for his glory and your good, he will turn over some tables in your life. He'll disrupt what you've been doing. He'll overturn what you thought was the way. He'll all of a sudden cause some disruption that his holiness and glory might be in you. So in making some application today, we turn to Colossians chapter 3. Let me read through these, make some application And then we're going to seek the Lord together. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, here's the application. Put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. The day you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins were paid for. The wrath of God was removed from your life. But if you start living in disobedience and the same sins that the world lives in today... I cannot guarantee you that Jesus isn't going to come up with a whip all up in your house and disrupt some things. Because we are called to put to death the same sins that they live in. We're not to walk where they walk. We're not to do what they do. We're to be set apart. We're to be that holy place. We are the ones that the glory of God emanates from today. It's not the church building. It's the you building. It's your heart. It's your activities. It's where you go. It's you and your family. It's you and your private time. It's you alone. It's you with your wife. It's you with your kids. That's the place where his holiness dwells today. We can't just keep playing with the old sins that we once played with. Your anger and your bitterness and your jealousy. Your temporary lifestyle of getting involved in stuff for your pleasure and your your own glory and your own benefit, living life wrapped up in you instead of wrapped up in Christ, all that stuff, he says, that's got to go. He didn't say, hey, you know, you probably should leave some of that stuff out of your life. I mean, I understand if you don't, it's okay. Hey, that's not what's happened here in this patch. He doesn't say, hey, you know, um, you probably should be careful some of that stuff could burn you, you know. He doesn't say, well, you know, you probably should try to do some more good things and say those bad things. No, look what he says. Let's back it up a little bit, Dan. Therefore, put to death. That's not stop playing with it. That's not see if you can maybe lessen it a little bit. That is bring a complete into it. That is treat it harshly. That is stop Put to death. If you got stuff going on in your temple, which is what you are, that's keeping you and others from seeing God's holiness and from his glory being exhibited in your life, you've got to put it to death. And believe me, it won't go down easy. No one likes to struggle with death. And whatever the sin is for you, it'll fight you. It'll fight back. It'll resist. And your old thoughts will come back into play. And you'll justify it, normalize it, classify it. Justify it any way you can. But the scripture's clear. Put it to death. It's because of these same sins that the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Don't. Don't be involved in what they do because that's why the very wrath of God is coming upon them. I close today with a verse 
from 2 Corinthians 7.1. Paul writes in the same vein to a group of people who were struggling with their past sins, still walking and living in their old ways, classifying, normalizing, justifying what they've done. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says this, Then having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of of God. Because we have these promises, promises that he'll be with us, promises that he will never leave us or forsake us, promises that we've been made the temple of God, cleanse yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. Don't wait till God pours out his wrath on your life. Cleanse yourself. Don't awaken his anger. Cleanse yourself. Don't wait to have to be told. Cleanse yourself. Of all that defiles your flesh, those outward actions, and your spirit. The stuff that no one sees. The stuff that's hidden. The stuff that's heart. This is our call today. What I'd like to do for us as we conclude today is to take some time to honestly, passionately seek the Lord. And I would ask this if you are able. Would you join me on your knees at your seat? Or if you'd like to come here to this stage, I'm going to be here. And we're going to pray and seek the Lord together. Confess sin. Repent of our ways. Thank him for forgiveness and worship him. Would you join me? Father, today, your spirit is here in this place. Your presence is here. It's not by our works of righteousness, but by your mercy that you've saved us. It's only through the blood shed for us at the cross of Jesus that we can claim any kind of forgiveness or peace with you today. And now as your people who have been set apart, who have been made righteous through faith, who have been made the place that your spirit dwells on this earth. We come to you to repent of our selfishness, our foolishness, our pettiness, our attempts to justify, normalize our sin. God, you've called us to be a holy people. You call us to be like you. You call us to let your Holy Spirit in us radiate your glory. And the only way, 
holiness can be radiated, radiated from our life is when we are holy in our life. So today, God, we come to you. We confess our sin. We come to repent of our ways. God, forgive us for only worshiping you on Sunday. Forgive us for only doing what's right when it benefits us. Forgive us for getting caught up in what all the world does. Forgive us for being ones who've made ourselves judges over others. Forgive us for trying to describe our own goodness and define it by our own ways. And may our lives today reflect your holiness. I know you will move heaven and earth to bring us to the place of this holiness and glory. You're arranging the events of our life right now to bring us to that place. For some of us, you've, you've let us go our own way for a while. You've let us walk in our own selfishness. You've let us walk in our bitterness. You've let us walk in our anger and resentment. You've let us walk in our sin that we might even just have a taste of, of what it's like to walk in our own way. And today, we recognize that and we come back to you. We repent of our sin. We, we come back to be stopped by you, to be led by you, to be close to you. We thank you that you've chosen us to be your holy temple. May we be a temple that's clean now, Father. May sin be removed. May attitudes be purged that have been destructive. May relationships be reconciled. May redemption happen. May we be brought back to you that we might walk in holiness and the glory be seen by a generation today that's desperate for truth. And so it begins here in the place of God's people, our own hearts. You've done what you must. And abandon and reckless pursuit of our hearts. And today we turn and we run to you. Because only in you is there life and hope. We pray all of this with worship, adoration, and gratefulness for the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.